World's Finest Podcast, Episode 42. host james doe and with me is my co-host michael david sims hello how goes it sir good enough well yeah like always good enough exactly <laughs> exactly it's it's getting to be that busy time of the year eh yeah it is we got and, uh, thanksgiving <laughs> this week uh christmas just a few short weeks after that someone's birthday a week after that yes yeah, somebody oh. <laughs> who, who might that be i don't know i don't want to think about it because i'm i'm I might work nine hours on that day again, like last year. <laughs> oh, and you can't request it off, can you? Pretty much. It's almost an impossible day to request off, but oh. see, such, see, is the, I, such is the curse of having a birthday on New Year's Eve. Yeah, see, that's, that's why I'm glad my birthday is just like, you know, it doesn't land on a holiday. It's not near any holidays, you know. Like if I, if I want to take it off, I can just take it off, and I don't have to worry about it. Okay, then again, I do make my own schedule. Yeah, so you got a little bit of an advantage there in addition. <laughs> right, but even even when I, you know, even before I had the job I do now, um, if I wanted to take my birthday off, I would always just make sure I requested it in advance, and there was no problem because it, it wasn't around Christmas, it wasn't around New Year's or Thanksgiving or any other major shopping holiday or anything like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I... I do feel bad in in that regard for you, but oh, oh well, <laughs> such a, such as being uh, an adult. <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true. Oh, uh, should we just get into some emails? Yeah. Uh, first one today is from Joseph, who writes, "I am letting you uh, both know that you're doing a great job on the podcast and on, on Batman Beyond and all the way through the DC animated universe. And I did find some things that you uh, may have forgotten. For example." One, did you notice that Magma looked like Clayface? When I saw him, I thought he looked like Clayface. I think one of us mentioned that, actually. One of us might have, and I think it was brought up at the forums, too, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely yeah. definitely on the forums, but I can't remember if one of us mentioned that or not. Yeah. Uh, two, in the episode Meltdown, did you see the part where Batman was in stealth mode and he managed to take out all the guys uh, when he's invisible? I was wondering how the hell they could see him when he was invisible. Um, I actually don't think they saw him except at the very end when he gave away his position, but at that point he had already kicked all their asses, so it didn't really matter. I don't remember, so I can't say. And number three, the episode Winning Edge. Bruce Wayne told Terry to be careful about Bane, and Terry said that he must be a zillion years old, and what trouble can an old geezer do? And Bruce gives him a look that to uh, that, that could really to kill by. Yeah. <laughs> and Terry just says, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, did, I do think we forgot to mention that, but yeah, it was a very good moment there. Yeah, I, I do I do like those little glances that Bruce gives Terry from now and then whenever Terry <laughs> says something stupid or rude or anything like that. Bruce Bruce just has that ice-cold stare, and it always makes me feel bad for Dick Grayson. You know, it's like, oh, he had to grow up with that guy. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, keep up the good work, and I can't wait for more episodes. Next one is from Nate, who writes, Mike and James, I enjoyed your recent debate over who should succeed Bruce Wayne as Batman, Tim Drake, duh. <laughs> and I agree that Grant Morrison's writing is maddening, maddeningly subpar. I haven't read R.I.P., but I did read the Batman and Sun series, 
and found it very unsatisfying. R.I.P. just sounds like a bad idea, almost as bad an idea as Grayson the TV show. <laughs> I understand your comment about Smallville being too, uh, too melodramatic. Most episodes of Smallville play like a soap opera. However, this season has blown me away. Everyone worried that without the characters of Luther and, L- and Lana Lang, that the show would crumble. Instead, it allowed for the writers to chart a more mature course with fresh characters and new ideas. Do you guys watch the show regularly? If so, what's uh, what do you think of Smallville's take on Doomsday? Um, no, I don't. Um, I do have the first. Let me look at my DVD shelf. Five seasons on DVD. Um, I did. Oh man, this is going back some years. If I remember correctly, I think I did enjoy part of the first and part of the second season. I think I may may have even watched part of the third. Um. But I just got tired of it. I got tired of the will they, won't they with Clark and Lana. I got tired of the villain of the week. Um, really, the only reason we own those first five seasons is because Jen likes melodrama. She likes cheesiness. And that's not a slight against her. She'll be the first to admit that, you know. Um, so she wants to sit down and really watch that show. And the only reason we haven't is because I'm very resistant to it. <laughs> what about I have, you, James? I don't think you're... You I have never game. watched a single episode of Smallville, so I can't comment either way. There, There's some good stuff out there. As much as I do rag on the show, there is some good stuff mixed in the what I consider to be uh, overall lacklusterness of it all. Um, as for what we think of Doomsday... I haven't seen them use Doomsday. I saw the trailer for the episode called The Bride or The Wedding or something that featured Doomsday at the end of it. And he was in shadow, but the CG effect looked pretty good. But I didn't see the episode itself, so I don't know how he was used at all. Um, It just gets on my nerves that they're introducing so many of these characters who are supposed to be part of the Superman mythos and not part of the Clark Kent dare I say it, Superboy mythos. It's just, too, they're just introducing these characters way too early for my liking. I really do, I think I've said this before, maybe on the show, maybe on WFP, I don't know. But I really do think at the end of this whole thing, it's going to turn out everything was a dream. They're, that's the only way they can do it, is, is everything was a dream. Or there's a mass, just a global mind wipe. And not just mind wipe, like a data wipe too. Almost akin to what... Uh, happened to Peter Parker after uh, during a one more day brand new day um i've i've often thought that if they were going to do it as a dream what they could do is uh have it be luthor's dream uh in the very first episode if i remember correctly his car went off a bridge and uh crashed into like a pond and clark jumped in and pulled him out and saved him and that's what started their uh relationship together well they could say the entire show happened in that moment that Luthor was underwater and he just had this very long eight season hallucination. Um, or they can say Clark didn't pull him out in time and he's been in a coma this whole time. So he wakes up and you know, he's lost eight years of his life or whatever. And still it was all some sort of dream, but I really think that's where they're going to go with this, which would be bad. Very bad. Yeah. I hope I, I trust me. I hope I'm wrong. I don't want because I don't like that. Oh, it was a dream all along, kind of thing. I really hate that. Nobody, uh, but, in, nobody in serious acting likes that. It's it's the oh. the ultimate cop out ending to any kind of dramatic series, movie, play, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we'll, we'll see what they do. You know, who knows? Because is this the last season? Is there going to be nine? Is there going to be fifteen? Who knows? We'll, we'll see. We'll see how it ends when it ends. I guess. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, he continues on saying, personally, I thought Smallville, uh, Smallville's last episode, Bride, was the best to date. I love how they've turned Doomsday into a tragic Frankenstein-like monster, a killing machine with a human side. They've quickly made Doomsday a more sympathetic and terrifying villain than Luke, uh, Lex Luthor ever was on the show. Although I like that Lex is supposedly lurking in the shadows now. Anyway, I love that you guys are reviewing Batman Beyond. I generally like this show, but... Uh, but it's got maybe the coolest intro title sequence ever, and the crossovers they did with the Justice League series made Terry's Batman ten times cooler. Plus, you got to love old man Bruce. You guys hit the nail on the head when you said that he's just Batman all the time uh, as an old man. This gets directly confirmed in the Shriek episode when Shriek is able to literally put voices into Bruce's head, and then he talks about uh, he knew that someone was messing with him the whole time. And the, the whole deadpan... Uh, that's not what I call myself. <laughs> so it, it was so great. Anyway, keep up the awesome podcasting, guys. Thank you. Next one is from Eric, who writes, Hello, guys. Well, I've been backed up mainly due to my attempts of moving with little to no money to do it. So here goes. Meltdown was an episode that was fun to watch as a fan of the original series, but doesn't seem to really add to the new series. I did enjoy the Mr. Freeze Blight fight, Heat versus Cold. Definitely the best of the first being reviewed here. However, I am sad. My, uh, I myself am sad to see Mr. Freeze go. It should have been a two-parter. I do agree, James. I do have a question, though. Where did the updated technology come from, i.e. the ice-shooting fists? If Mr. Freeze has been in the vault for almost 50 years, did time go by before the end of the episode's uh, start? It's an awesome outfit, though. Oh, well. Well, Heroes. let me uh -huh. jump in there. You okay. could maybe say that Freeze got his hands on some sort of super advanced technology before he ended up in cold storage and he made the suit. Um, you could also take his line to be a joke. Really? Oh, I've had this thing. What did he say? I, what did he say? Something about I kept in cold storage. Yeah. Maybe it was just a bad attempt at humor. And he literally just made the suit on the fly in that Batman beyond future. I, I, I really don't know. I don't know, but it's a good question. Heroes, wow, I actually enjoyed this episode for a filler episode, even with the heavy Marvel influence it had in it. Magma seems to have the same character model as Clayface before the <laughs> Gotham Knight revisions. The one problem I, d I have with the episode is that it really is a prototype for the first JLU episode to feature the Ultimen. Terry did kill them, in my opinion. Since we never see them again, you have to assume that. But like you said, I don't think he meant to. He does try to reason with Magma. Them turning evil at the end is not far-fetched when you see how they capture the bad guy. Very brutal, but it seems like they are just a little too easily swayed. Did you guys notice how the general who leads the attack on the Terrific Trio's uh, headquarters looked a little like Hitler? When you see his mustache you, uh, mustache look, you already know he's going to be bad. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably what they were going for. Probably, yeah. <laughs> Spellbound is another episode that is a great time passer. When I first uh, was watching the episode, the characters of Spellbinder reminded me uh, of the way Leitner looked uh, with another Marvel influence from Mysterio, but as the episode progressed, it became uh, more enjoyable. However, the scientist who feels unappreciated by his patients is a bit old. I always enjoy seeing Bruce once again fighting a bit or showing that he still has the skills he wants uh, he once used as Batman. My big problem here is that Terry as Batman is duped into believing he is suddenly at a waterfall. The later trance is understandable because Terry is not expecting it. Shriek. Uh, okay, time to suck it up and waste 20 minutes of your life. What? <laughs> Wow. The only part I enjoyed from this uh, episode was the reference to the Joker in the movie theater. Another episode in which the developer of a device that amplifies Shriek, uh, Shriek's name is Shreve. You don't really need a computer to figure that out, kind of like how Freeze eventually becomes Mr. Freeze. The only thing I can give this episode is the scene in which Shriek turns off the sound and all you hear are the thumps and crashes. Wow. I'm actually kind of taken aback by that. That's such an awesome episode. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're just you're just wrong. I'm sorry. You're just wrong. You know? <laughs> no, we kid. I mean, everybody, we've said this before, you know, everybody has their favorite episode, their least favorite episode, the episodes they think are mediocre. And, you know, we've shown that on here where we've totally trashed episodes that other people are like, what are you talking about? That's awesome. You know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, fair play, fair play. If, if yeah. we trash, you know, beloved episodes... You know, our listeners can say they were less than enthused about episodes that we did like. So, okay, we understand. Mm-hmm. But you're still wrong. <laughs> <laughs> a Touch of Curare, great episode. Here we get the first real confrontation between Bruce, Barbara, and Terry about how she now disapproves Batman being in Gotham again. And Terry finally discovers the truth about Commissioner Gordon. I love Terry's reaction. Seeing Barbara throwing the Batarang with ease was awesome. I love the animation given when Curare crushes Terry's back when she wraps her legs around him. Oh my god, Mike, I thought I was imagining the feeling of those two Samurai episodes. It did feel like one of those. (laughs) (laughs) Great reviews. Keep it up, fellas. And next is from Aaron, who writes, Hey guys, great podcast as always, but I had a few thoughts. And forgive me uh, if I go way back into BTAS. Um, With all the voice actors that grace BTAS, you neglected to mention a few guest actors. Loretta, quote-unquote, Hot Lips, Houlihan, Swit, played the Hatter's immediate boss in Mad as a Hatter. Mike Gross, uh, who played the dad on Family Ties, was the child molester dad in See No Evil. No. Diana... Was he? I, I don't know. I, I... That, wasn't he, didn't he play Terry's dad in uh, Rebirth? Mike Gross? Yeah. I wasn't he? I don't I'll, know. I'll look that up while you keep going. All right. And Diana Mulder, uh, Mulder, who played Dr. Pulaski on Star Trek The Next Generation for a year, was uh, Leslie Tompkins. I think we did mention that. I'm 99% sure I brought that up at some point. So, but I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I did. Okay, let's see. I'm at Michael Gross's page. Just hang on one second. Yeah, he played Warren McGinnis. And let's see. He did play Lloyd Ventress. What do you know? Hmm. Wow, because that did that so did not sound like him in See No Evil. He's he's a better voice actor than I gave him credit for. Yeah. You know, because when when I heard him, I almost said saw him, heard him. In uh, the Batman Beyond episodes, I knew it was him because I thought he had a very distinct voice. But for Ventress, he was putting something on, and wow, he, he really came across as creepy. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and from the Nolan Batverse, uh, I'm Mr. I am Mr. J on the E2 forums, and I posted an idea for a villain on there. But I had another thought, so I'll say them both here. Uh, WWE wrestler Undertaker could play Bane, and Sarah Michelle Gellar could make a good Catwoman. No, because now you're ending up with the same kind of crap that was going on in the 90s with Schumacher's films. I'm sorry. you are yeah. at, at that point, it's just stunt casting, and it's not casting the right people for the role. I, I see what you're going for there. I appreciate what you're going for there. But you seriously start getting into some very dangerous waters. Just because someone looks the part does not mean that they are right for that part. Because, in fact, when... uh. Before the Fantastic Four movie came out, I think I had made a post at, it might have been at the Earth 2 forums, I think, where I wanted to cast, like, Trish Stratus as, as Sue Storm, and I think it was, like, Christian as, as Johnny, just because they looked the part, <laughs> and people were like, um, no, they can't act. And I was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's the same thing. That's Got that right. There, you know? Um. Well, that's not to say, Sarah, he said Sarah Michelle Geller, right? Right. Yeah, that, okay, that doesn't mean to imply that she can't act. I was speaking more specifically about The Undertaker there, just so we're clear. Because mm-hmm. if I didn't clear that up, we'd get 10 emails saying, you don't like Sarah Michelle Gellar? And I never said that. I never said that. <laughs> but I also never said I liked her. <laughs> well, I mean, 
I still think that either Benicio del Toro or Javier Bardem should play Bane if they ever were to go into the Batman, the Nolan Batman movies. Yeah, um, it, yeah. If, if Bane's going to be there, I, I agree with you right there. Those two guys. Um, I, I'm thinking for the Riddler. Pardon me if I've said this on the show before. Um, uh, David Tennant, the Tenth Doctor. Um, because there was an interview where he said, or supposedly there was an interview where he said he'd like to do the part. Um, and there you go. Um, for Catwoman, who should we do for Catwoman? Catwoman? Now are we talking about? Uh, I guess it really doesn't matter the hair color, but uh, um, I really don't know because I haven't really thought too much about Catwoman because I'm so meh on her character just in general. Mm-hmm. I, I see what you did there, by the way. I, I see. What uh-huh, you did. Uh-huh. <laughs> Welcoming the newest word to the English language. <laughs> Doe. <laughs> it's uh, funny. It's funny. I'm like I, I don't like meh, but I say doe all the time. You know. <laughs> I say doe a lot too, but you know that's sort of uh, kind of prevalent in my life. <laughs> Anybody who's not a member of the forums is like, "What the hell is going on?" <laughs> Join the forums. the forums. You'll get the in jokes, and you'll be much better off for it. Yeah. It's like, you know how when we're reviewing an episode of Batman Beyond or Superman or whatever, and I'm pointing out those little Easter eggs, that's what's happening here. Mm-hmm. You know, these, these little things are going over your head. Join the forums. <laughs> <laughs> I still say David Hyde Pierce, though, should play Riddler. Okay, okay. And uh, But Catwoman, not a clue. Not a clue. Because it, it all depends on how they're going to do Catwoman, too. That's the thing. Are they going to go... Okay, she should always be sort of that ultra-sexy femme fatale... But I don't know. I, I'd sort of like to see a toned-down Catwoman at the same time. Someone that you wouldn't suspect was Catwoman. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but yeah, if they were to just play her up as like a really good cat burglar and not necessarily play up the sexy femme fatale angle, I could have honestly seen Maggie Gyllenhaal. But, well, whoops. <laughs> um. I don't know who else, though. I'm going to have to think about that one. Anyways, I'm sorry. The email. The email. <laughs> Actually, that's the end of the email, uh, email here. He oh. ends it by saying, well, that's my email for the day, and keep up the good work, guys. Aaron. Who are you? I don't have your cornea scan. I wasn't born when your file was set up. I'm your grandson, Bobby. How long have I been in here? Almost 35 years. 35 years? I imagine the world's changed quite a bit. Oh, yes. My father, your son, he, uh, he's gone. A heart attack. It just happened. Ah, so you're alone now. I'm the last of the family. I've got to run the company now, but I'm not sure I can. Not sure? I was no older than you are now when I started the company. I know. But you and I are two different people, and... Oh, that's enough. Put me online. But aren't you going to help me? That's what you're for. That was just a pose by me, so people would leave me alone. I needed to buy some time. For what? Put me online and you'll see. I don't know if... Do it! Please, Bobby. I've been cooped up in here a long time. I want to find out what's been going on in the world, that's all. First up today is Lost Soul. Now, folks, bear with me here while I try to explain this episode, because 
not a bit of it makes any sense whatsoever, and nothing ever leads anywhere. So please just bear with me here. Um, 35 years ago, this corporate chairman named Robert Vance died, and he, you know, he knew for some time that he was dying because he had some kind of inoperable brain disease or something. So he digitized his brain algorithms into a computer program to act as an advisor to future owners of the company. Well, we flash forward to the present, and Vance's grandson, Bobby, reboots his program because his uh, father just shut him down immediately after taking over the company. Um, but anyway, Bobby has taken over the company because Vance's son, his father, uh, Bobby's father, has died of a heart attack, and now the company is Bobby's. And Vance convinces Bobby to put his program uh, fully online. Elsewhere, Terry and Dana are enjoying a romantic evening on the rooftop uh, like some kind of like a rotating restaurant type thing, I guess. And uh, they get in an elevator to, uh, I think they pretty much just start making out. And <laughs> the uh, elevator starts going haywire up and down and up and down, kind of like the uh, the Tower of Terror. <laughs> um, but, you know, it Terry eventually gets it to stop by ripping a bunch of wires out. And they notice that the entire city is being affected by all kinds of electrical problems. Lights are going on and off. And... Uh, Terry goes back to the Batcave where Bruce explains that this program is siphoning information all over the city's network and that uh, it has to have some kind of hidden agenda. Um, isn't that episode later on? Anyway. Um, so Terry goes off to stop it, and he flies to the power plant where the, the program's taken over the, def- uh, the defense systems, making it impossible for anybody to get in and shut it off. Uh, now... Terry does in, eventually stop it, but in the process, a uh, laser blasts him and knocks him out for a few minutes. Um, well, later, he stops some thugs from robbing an ATM, and afterwards, Vance's uh, program takes over the Batsuit's computer system because the laser had pretty much injected the program into the Batsuit. Um, and Vance manipulates the suit into walking straight into the ocean where, well, uh, where Terry will drown, but the suit will be perfectly fine. Uh, and, you know, long enough for Vance to transfer his program into a human host body. Uh, Bruce activates the kill switch, though, just in time, shutting down the suit uh, where Terry can still breathe because he's, like, half underwater, just his legs are underwater at this point. At this point, I think, uh, yeah, Bruce, you know, Bruce flies off in the Batmobile to retrieve Terry in the suit since Terry can't move. He's just stuck out there in the water, and the water's starting to get higher and higher. Um, so back at the Batcave, Bruce decides to reprogram the suit later that night instead of immediately. Well, big mistake, because the, uh, the suit turns itself on and leaves the Batcave by busting through the wall. Terry then decides to go off and get the suit himself, but Bruce has plenty of reservations about that, considering how powerful the suit is. But Terry says there's no stopping him, and Bruce gives him his old utility belt to help him out any way it can. Terry then grabs Nightwing's old mask and leaves uh, to Vance's headquarters. Uh, Vance, still in the bat suit, has abducted Bobby and has him, uh, I don't know, like trapped, trapped in the headquarters, and he awakens, trapped in this device meant to transfer Vance's program into his body. Uh, Terry then hurls one of the old batarangs into the computer screen, missing his intended target by <laughs> quite a bit. Um, he then swings down and tries to kick the suit, but it doesn't even budge. Uh, so Vance activates the suit's stealth mode and start, and hurls an explosive battering at Terry, which sets off all the explosives inside the utility belt. <laughs> so Terry has to throw the, the utility belt away, but he manages to throw it at Vance, and it explodes, which disables the stealth mode. Uh, but Terry eventually deactivates the suit by uh, hurling this steel beam from a wall straight into the suit and electrocuting it. 
and Vance's intellect regresses rapidly to that of an infant before it just disappears completely. The next day, Bobby sells the company, and Bruce says it'll take uh, quite a long time to rebuild the suit. However, he says that the suit is out of commission, not Batman. Yeah. Um, I don't even know what to say about this episode, because like I started off, what was the plot of this episode? I mean, what what was Vance's ultimate goal here, exactly? That's my biggest gripe with the episode. Um, I will say overall, I was kind of digging this one. Um, we'll get to that in a minute, but the more I thought about it, which was as I was watching it, I was like, yeah, what is Vance trying to do? Is he trying to cause havoc? Is he just trying to integrate with all of Gotham's computers to take it over that way? But if that's the case, why is he trying to find a human host? You know, I couldn't reconcile the two things that he was doing. Oh, I want a human body, but I'm still running around all these computers. Well, you can't have it both ways, you yeah. know? And to that end, once he gets inside Bobby's body and takes it over, and Bobby's uh, mind disappears completely forever, aren't people going to recognize that uh, he's back? What are they going to... Uh, how did you get back, and where's your grandson? Yeah. Um, he uh, went on vacation. Yeah, he'd, he'd have to act as his grandson... And people would question that because the whole reason Bobby turned his grandfather back on is because he didn't want the company. He said, you know, I, I don't want this. I don't know what to do. And if all of a sudden he turns around and he starts, you know, being a smart businessman and CEO, people go, whoa, where'd this change come from? So either, either way, they're, they're going to know something's up there. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, was he, maybe he was trying to gather all information like a poor man's brainiac? <laughs> yeah, I, it, it could be that, you know, he was just trying to go through cyberspace to figure out what he had missed in the last three and a half decades. But you really, he could just find one central computer and do it that way. He didn't have to fuck with all the power yeah. to do it. So, yeah, like I said, that's my biggest gripe with this episode right there. Uh, but what, what else were you thinking about this one? Well, in the beginning of the episode, um, you know, if the Vance, the Vance program on its initial onset was supposed to be, you know, completely sentient, and it was, then why was it just spitting out cliched gar uh, jargon at his father and his uh, his buddies 35 years ago? I mean, if you're going to try to fool these people, which was – he was going to just, you know, screw around with these people and just gather information, I guess, then, you know, why not show them that, hey – you can still be of real help to them so they don't shut you off just because you're fucking annoying. Yeah, yeah, he was just doing the whole motivational poster, yay teamwork yeah. kind of spiel, not the, oh, here's what I can tell you, uh, here's how I can help you run the company. Yeah, I would have shut him off too. I'd have been like, dude, seriously, what the fuck? You're a drain in our resources. Power down. <laughs> yeah. But my other major, major gripe with this episode, and this is actually something that's going to come back, just kind of a theme that's going to come back in several of the episodes we're covering today, is all of the time wasting. Because it seemed that there was just something wrong with the pacing of this episode. Uh, it seemed to me that there were just weird, awkward pauses and random moments of silence from characters just all over the place. And it made me think that even the writers of this episode didn't completely know where they were going with this storyline. So they took every opportunity they could find to have pauses and silent moments to take up the 22 minutes since the plot was going really nowhere. Uh -huh. And I have several uh, several instances where this happened. Here's here's all of them that I could think of. 
where we had just awkward and unnecessary pauses. The ATM scene, the whole time from when Vance takes over the suit until Bruce rescues Terry from the water, when Vance in the Batsuit is just about to plug that Matrix-like thing into the back of Bobby's head, he just stops and pauses for like 15 solid seconds for no reason at all. And the final fight scene has several moments of Bat Vance just trying to find Terry with the damaged visor, just looking all over the room. Mm-hmm. It was there's just so much time wasting in this episode. I mean, did you catch any of those? I didn't in the moment, but now that you've brought it up, I can see exactly what you're saying. The only one that I did notice at the time was the visor thing. I was like, okay, because I, I think they showed it like two or three times. At least three times, And I was yes. like, whoa, okay, I got it the first time. We didn't need, as you called them, Bat Vance POV like this many times. We just didn't need it. Um, I, I was much more interested in seeing Terry try to fight the suit Which was the cool. Suit. Yeah, I mean, he's he, all he's got is the utility belt and the Nightwing mask. That's all he has. And he loses the belt, as you pointed out. Mm-hmm. So all he has is the mask and his wits. Because something you didn't mention is that he noticed that when Bat Vance was hooking up Bobby into that machine. Oh, right, uh, yeah. The, 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 I think the left hand of the suit got caught in an electromagnetic field and it became limp. And he had to pull it out and power it back up. And Terry was like, oh, magnetism. So that's how Terry beat him at the end. He created an electromagnet because he wrapped that coil around right. that spear. Mm-hmm. And he shot it through him. And then he plugged it in, sending the magnetic energy through the suit, thus negating the uh, Vance program. Um, so that was so cool, Terry. Because it reminds us that Terry does know... Uh, technology. Mm-hmm. We've seen that through and through. We even see it earlier in this episode when he and Dana are in the elevator and she had no clue that elevators used to be manual where you had to actually press the button. Yep. You know, but he knew that. He knows tech. Um, but yeah, instead they wasted time by showing Bat Vance point of view. Because that was my, my, uh, really the things that I really liked about this episode were, were Terry and just using his wits to try and take down the suit, and then you know showing again that he is Batman. It's not the suit, and I I really did like that. Um, there are some other things I did like though too. I liked uh, I thought Stacy Keach did a did a pretty good job voicing Vance. I thought he was pretty much perfect for it because I was when I was watching I was thinking, wow, where did I where have I heard that voice before? Because I didn't know at the time it was Stacy Keach. And I was thinking, Escape from L.A. <laughs> but yeah, I thought he did a good job. He I I never thought that. He could, re- uh, he would be a guy that would really translate well to uh, voice acting, but I thought he did a good job there. Hmm. Um, and I would have given this episode another point if Terry had donned the entire Nightwing costume. <laughs> yes, I mean they were standing in front of that case the whole time, and I'm thinking he could put on either the Batman suit; it would be big on him, but that'd be okay, you know, just to have it be a little baggy, or the Nightwing suit, which would fit his physique much better. And he's opening up that case, and I was getting chills. I'm like, oh, shit, he's going to wear the Nightwing suit. And he just grabs the mask. And I'm like, son of a bitch. You know, like, put the whole damn suit on, dude. That was a tease that did not deliver. (laughs) Yes, I mean, it was still cool seeing him wear the mask and have Bruce's belt. I did like that. But, oh, the whole suit. The whole, oh. Yeah. But, oh, oh, well. You get, I mean, 
at least we got the old school Batarang making a comeback for yeah. one shining moment there. <laughs> and it was great that he didn't know how to throw it. It was like a different, uh, just differently constructed. So he threw it and missed by about, I don't know, 20 yards. Yeah, totally giving up his position. That was awesome. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Did you have more you wanted to say? Well, I mean, go ahead. I've got some more notes, but I've, I've been kind of hogging it up here. <laughs> oh, no, no, that's okay. That's okay. Um, Really, besides the plot that kind of meandered, my biggest gripe here was something Bruce did. So they get the suit back to the cave. This is after Terry has literally been plucked out of the water mm-hmm. by Bruce. Okay, And Bruce just throws the suit on some counter and says, eh, I'll get to it in the morning. Okay, this is Bruce Wayne. The same guy that knew that the splicing techniques were going to, that was going to lead to trouble. Yeah. Okay. He knew that that's something we'll have to clean up, and, but he doesn't bother to run some virus check or some alien thing invaded my suit check or whatever. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, Brainiac has gotten in his systems before. So are we? seriously supposed to believe that he doesn't check that suit like every two minutes to see if something's gotten into it you know (laughs) that doesn't fly with me just the fact that he just leaves it on the countertop and walks away or walks away when he's clearly demonstrated psychic powers in the in the recent past yeah that that doesn't work it was just one of those oh we need to get the suit in the cave Mm -hmm. or we need to have terry not have this suit kind of moments um that really really irked me Um, but getting back to things we liked about this, I did like the look of Vance, just the face. Yeah, that was cool. Whoa, that was cool. I thought Vance's death was just brutal, just getting completely impaled and just hearing him try. It reminded me of when, um, uh, 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 Metallo got, got, uh, stuck in the lava on the island. Yeah. And he, what, what did he keep thinking to himself? I don't remember, but he kept repeating I am one just, I am Metallo. Right. I am Metallo. And then he faded out, and it was similar here, where he's like, oh, the, the square root of pi is this, blah, 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 two plus two equals four. Mommy. Hot mommy. potato, hot potato. Yeah, I was like, whoa. That, that was another thing that really gave me chills. It was almost as creepy as the toxic stuck-in-wall guy from the last episode of WFP. You know, it was it was one of those moments where like it was, where it was like they see they know how to do creepy. They don't always go full force with it, but they know how to do creepy. Yep. Um, I'm sorry. What were you going to say there? It's not like you were going to say something. Um, well, I mean, I hate to take it back into. Well, no, I take that back. I, I will say one more. There was another <laughs> positive I, I just remember about. I think this might be where they got the eventual idea of having Brainiac firing his program into Lex Luthor via Me. the laser blast. Yeah, I think this if it was any it kind of come from anywhere it was going to be here. So, you know, I I can't say if they did or not, but I can conjecture. That's that's true. But oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I, I have to ask something. Okay. If you don't mind, because if I don't bring this up, I'm gonna forget. Oh, go ahead. Um, where did the cat come from? Yeah, how about that thing? That was another. There note just I happens have. to be a stray cat in the Gotham City Electrical Company. Right, it was the power plant. Right. Where yeah. Was- yep. There just happens to be a cat walking. Okay, no, seriously. If you want a definition of c- convenient for the plot, yeah, <laughs> that was it right there. Because they needed to get Terry uncloaked so the computer could recognize him, thus shoot him, and inject the program into his system. Yep. How do we do that? 
Um, yeah, yeah, let's not have a stray worker walk by. No, we'll have a cat walk by. What? <laughs> yeah. I mean, how did it even get in there in the first place? It would have been blasted at some point before Terry even got there. Exactly my point. It's like, it doesn't make sense for it to be in there, but if it is going to be in there, how did it get in? Yeah. I mean, seriously, that that was like the biggest convenient for the plot since Superman Doomsday, when uh, that little girl just wanders into the street in front of Doomsday. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, and another thing that irked me was when, uh, near the beginning of the episode, when Terry's putting on the costume and he and Bruce are chatting it up and... Bruce says you should stop wasting time and get out there. And Terry just slams on the uh, the computer console to open the the uh, door to the back cave, and it won't come on. And he says, "Well, I had to turn the computer off to, or else Vance might get into the system in our system here." And he says, "You're going to have to do it the old-fashioned way if you want to get out of here." And Terry goes, "You know, uh, you're, you're kidding, right?" And Bruce says, "None of the Robins ever complained." Mm-hmm. He's not a Robin. Ugh, he's fucking Batman, and it just it irks me. But you have to remember, at this point, Bruce still doesn't see him as Batman. I think at the end of this episode, he really has started to see him as Batman. Because Terry proved himself. He proved that he is more than just the suit. You know, because remember, Terry said, I I question, am I Batman or is the suit Batman? And I'm just some guy in it, you know? And he proved he had the brains, he had the skills, he had the moves to stop an extremely dangerous, powerful foe. And at the end, when Bruce says to him, which is what you said earlier, it's only the suit that's out of commission, not Batman. That's the moment where he stops seeing him as a sidekick and finally says, okay, you know what? That's Batman. And I I really dug that. So it made sense to me. And I felt like that ending was a call back to him comparing him to the Robins earlier in the episode. Along those same lines, in regards to that little bit of dialogue where he said none of the Robins complained, did you notice he said none of the Robins complained? Not neither Neither. of the Robins complained? Mm -hmm. That made me think, was there a third Robin we don't know about in continuity? Did, is there Jason Todd hanging around somewhere? <laughs> yeah, or Stephanie, or <laughs> yeah, because it was one of those things where it's like, okay, I'm sure they didn't intend, you know, to imply anything, mm-hmm. but neither would have been much more accurate than none of. Yeah, because none of leaves the door open for more than two. So yeah, hmm. I think the last thing I want to say here is it's really good to see that. 50 years in the future, police detectives still have those 1970s real thick porno mustaches. <laughs> what are you going to do, mister? Cut my heart out? Eat my liver? Don't be dramatic. You are merely bait. Freaky. What happened to your back? A hunting accident. The panther was wounded. And I was careless. <laughs> My back was broken in five places. They had to replace my spine. The operation was excruciating. But it artificially enhanced my strength and reflexes. After I recovered, I went back 
and with my bare hands got my revenge. easy. Too easy. I had become so powerful no prey could challenge me. To one who lives for the thrill of the hunt, this was a tragedy. My life was over until I heard that the legendary Batman had returned. Batman? I'd always imagined this Batman to be an ageless soul, inhabiting the greatest warrior of each generation. If this bat spirit really existed, it would present the ultimate challenge. Next up is Bloodsport. In this one, a hunter has come to Gotham in an effort to take down Batman. It's not that dissimilar from the Bane-Bruce dynamic, really, or the Spider-Man, Craven the Hunter dynamic. Um, what we find out is that this hunter, who simply goes by the name The Stalker, um, used to be a big game hunter, but one day he was out in the jungle, and I believe it was a panther, um, got the better of him, completely mauled him, just destroyed him, shattered his spine in five places, and they had to, uh, uh the doctors replaced his spine with some sort of, uh, metal contraption or some electronic contraption or something. And, uh, he, you know, this had a side effect of enhancing his strength. So he, um, went back out into the jungle shortly thereafter and he very brutally, I might say, killed the animal that nearly killed him. And he didn't like how it felt. Previously, he enjoyed hunting, but that was too easy. So that was the moment when he decided that he was going to hunt bigger prey, i.e. man, i.e. Batman. Um... And, uh, yeah, so he's come to Gotham, and he's he's hunting Terry down. They have an encounter at a museum, and uh, it turns out during that encounter, uh, the stalker throws uh, some sort of grenade at Terry, and unbeknownst to Terry, it covered him in uh, some sort of, like, phosphorescent... Is that the right word? Phosphorescent? Yeah. Yeah. Dust. Uh, so anything Terry touches... Uh, when looked at under a certain kind of lens will glow almost like a radioactive type green. Uh, so this hunter is able to stalk Terry and not necessarily Batman. Um, and to get Terry, uh, uh, the, the stalker kidnaps Matt. Is that his name? The brother? Matt? Yes. Yeah. Kidnaps Matt, puts him in a cage and forces Terry to come have a, uh, very brutal showdown with him. And uh, things don't go all that well for the Stalker, do they? No. No. Uh, does he come back? Yes, he does. Oh, he does? Oh, are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. Oh, okay. Oh, my God. If you guys haven't seen it, it's very clearly implied that this dude got run over by a train. Yeah. He falls off the side of a building, lands on the train tracks, looks up, and sees the train coming. Now... We never see the train hit him, but it gets really close. But we see Terry's reaction, and Terry's reaction is that of, oh, shit, that dude just turned into a bloody mess all over that train. Not, ooh, he ran away. No, no, not at all. So the fact that they brought him back is a bit dis... Okay, let me say, I think he was a cool villain, but it's mm -hmm. disappointing that they negated that death 
that I actually thought was kind of worthy of the character. Oh, yes. You know, he was such a badass character. I almost didn't... It's one of those things where I almost didn't want to see him again because it's, he's going to be watered down, I think. You know, yeah. so I think I might have just contradicted myself, but whatever. I but, don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I love this episode so much. Um, this was a good one. Yeah, just really because of the, of the imagery, the music, and Carl Lumbly's voice acting, just everything is just awesome. This is fun. Just Batman having to go up against a guy who's pretty pretty much psychotic, but not really because you can he has that conversation with Matt uh talking about when Matt's like, "What are you going to do? You know, drink my blood, cut my heart out." He's like, "Don't be melodramatic." <laughs> so, and I actually I loved that conversation with him where he tells about the spinal surgery. This was a brutal episode. <laughs> yeah. I got to jump in there. I'm sorry. But you know what's funny to me is mm-hmm. they all the violence, the the supposed death at the end. The death of the panther, the mauling of the stalker, showing the stalker surgery, but they don't show the stalker shooting the mosquito out of the air. Yeah, kind of strange. Remember, in the beginning, the mosquito lands on his hand and he pulls out his little, uh, blow, uh, what's that thing called? The The blow blow gun? Yeah, the blow gun, thank you. And, uh, he shoots it at the mosquito that was sucking his blood and they cut away before the dart hits the mosquito. And I was like, really? That's the bit of violence you're not gonna show? <laughs> That's the thing the censors objected to? Oh, that poor mosquito. Never mind the fucking panther t- ten minutes later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, but I think I interrupted you earlier. I know I haven't really talked much about it as, since we've started discussing Batman Beyond, uh, the animation. This animation was just beautiful in a brutally violent way. <laughs> Um, what's electrocuted? Wowzers! Um, because the great thing they did was they showed the electricity frying his spinal column. Yes, that uh, you could hear it sizzle. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was that was fucking awesome. Really, I have no other way I to was, put it. I was actually hoping that when that happened to his spinal column, that he just collapsed. Yeah. Like, I mean, I liked what they did with him where he, you know, fell off the edge and landed on the trains and supposedly got hit by the train. But I was really hoping he just collapsed because basically his spine just got rebroken, for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't going to function anymore. I'm like, oh, that would have been, that almost would have been worse than getting hit by the train because he's still alive. But, ooh, he's lost control of all his limbs, you know? Yeah. Truthfully, I don't have all that many notes just because it was a uh, it was one of those episodes you just sit back and watch. But uh, another thing I did like was show more of Terry fighting dirty. How many guys did he kick in the nuts in this episode? I don't know. A lot. <laughs> okay, it, it, they they imply that he was kicking them in the stomach, but the way they shot it, you know, he was kicking them in the groin because it happened in the beginning when he was fighting the guys at the chop shop, right? Right. It happened when he was fighting the stalker, and there was one more time in between. Um, I do not remember who he did it to, but I know he did it at least, it might have been a Joker, but I know he did it at least three times in this episode. And I was like, dude, seriously, not cool. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Speaking of not cool, Terry dropped an engine on a guy. Yeah, that was another note I had. That guy survived that too. And I'm thinking, no, no. <laughs> He's laying there moaning like, "Oh, uh, no. Your internal organs are mush, dude. And, <laughs> You've just been split in two. And his and his skull has been just squished." <laughs> I mean, okay, maybe 50 years in the future engines weigh less, but still it's an engine. You know? His entire engine block too. Yeah, I know. 
Yeah, if you still need a chain to hold that thing, you know, in the air to pull it out of the car, then that means it weighs more than a than a loaf of bread. (laughs) (laughs) It's not going to be comfortable, and it crushes you. Jesus. Uh, And you know, I, I do have to ask something in regards to the villain. You mentioned it earlier that we get his backstory uh, because he tells it to Matt. Mm-hmm. Why does he tell it to Matt? <laughs> like, really? Like, okay. He's a curious he, kid. He just felt like telling him a story. <laughs> Maybe that's it. I don't know, but it was one of those things where it's like, oh, good, we're going to get his origin. But why is he telling it to Matt? <laughs> you know, the nice of he. I mean, okay, it's a bit cliche to have the hero down and out and then, oh, I'm going to explain my history to you when I really should be just blowing your head off type thing. It's, it's cliche, but it's, at least it's better than telling it to an eight year old who's stuck in a bird cage. Because, <laughs> like, that kid listened. You know, he was just sitting there going, oh, God, this guy's a whack job. Okay, yeah, it's a, a, a panther. Yeah, your spine. Okay, whatever. Oh, Batman, there you are. Okay. <laughs> cool. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but um, something else you had mentioned earlier was the music. Mm-hmm. Wow, especially the tribal music. Yes. Very awesome. Oh, I really yes. Picked up for some of the poor music that we had in, um, was it Joyride? Yeah. Remember we were complaining about the music in one or two of the episodes last time. and Everything was poor in that episode. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. But yeah, it seems like... Whatever attention they weren't putting to the music on that episode or those episodes, they were really devoting to the music here because it still felt like Batman Beyond Music. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it felt right in this universe, but it also felt right for the character and for the scenes that was being used and just everything. Oh, it was, it was so wonderful. It really was. Yeah. One question I do have about this episode, though, is when Stalker is in the penthouse and He's pretty much just, he's really just arrived, and the maid comes in and sees the shit that he's put in there and the the Undertaker kind of robe that he's wearing. You're telling me she didn't go down there and tell somebody so they might, yeah. you know, investigate it? <laughs> You'd think. I don't know. Maybe he was killing people. Anybody that came up, it was just like, oh, sorry. Now their head's on the wall. You know, yeah. it just got to the point where people stopped coming back downstairs and they're like, you know, what? we're not going to send anybody up anymore. We're just not going <laughs> to. Yeah, just let him do whatever he wants. As long as he leaves us alone. It's, it's, I think he will leave us alone if we just stay the fuck down here. Yeah, pretty much so. <laughs> oh, was that a new voice for Mrs. Uh, McGinnis? I don't think so. It didn't sound like the same actress was playing Terry's mom. Hmm. It seemed really off to me. Uh, and I'm asking you because you're generally the one who's more familiar with the voices because the voice of the stalker was Martian Manhunter, correct? Yeah, Carl Lumber, Yeah, right. Yeah, perfect voice for that kind of God, yes. character. You know, the, the kind of character who, even though he's human, he seems very otherworldly mm-hmm. in what he can do and where he's coming from. It was such awesome casting there. I, I, I really think so. Well, I mean, according to uh, the DCAU wiki, it... Uh, Terry Gar does her voice in every episode that she's in. Yeah, that that just mm, that just doesn't feel right to me. But okay, I'll go with it. Um, and was this the only time they mentioned this was the episode where Terry's mom was supposedly trying to study for a test for a job or something? Yeah. Was that another episode? That was this one. That was that was this one. Yeah. 
Okay, like, does that ever come back? Because it was just a plot point then. I, I, like, I don't know if it does or not. I kind of don't was, think so, though. It was just out of the blue. Like, Terry, you're running late all the time. I have this job to study for, or this test to study for, so I can get a promotion. Like, I didn't even know his mom had a job. You know? <laughs> I really didn't. I didn't know what she did. I just thought she stayed home and watched Matt all the time. And it's, so just for it to be there to heighten the tension in, in their family dynamic, I thought was kind of weak. It was a gripe I had with this episode. It is weak, especially because Terry is – he has to be the primary uh, you know, moneymaker in the family mm-hmm. at this point because he's working for Bruce Wayne. Well, Bruce Wayne, he could be cheap. You never know. Terry might be an intern. <laughs> <laughs> In turn, he always, does seem, yeah, he always does seem short on cash. If you think about it, <laughs> think about it. in a couple of episodes, he and Dana are going out on a date. Remember, and he's got no money. It's like, dude. So is Bruce Wayne not paying you? What's going on here? <laughs> um, I think the only other question I have for this episode was at the very, very beginning of the episode. Was that a LexCorp logo on that building when they were panning up to the oh, penthouse? I didn't see. Oh, now I'm gonna have to go back and see. Just you, you just throw it in the as, start the episode up, and you can't miss the big L on that building as it's panning up to the penthouse. Hmm. It looked I don't know, it looked like a LexCorp logo, but I don't know. Just asking. That would be cool to know that in some way, shape, or form, LexCorp does still exist. You know, even though we know that Lex is now gone, mm-hmm. the company somehow survived. Yeah. How could you have done so poorly on the GATs? I got an almost perfect score. Almost doesn't get you ahead in life, dearest. Almost gets you almost. Only one student got higher. Well, that would make you the winning loser, wouldn't it? And if that's good enough for you, then I can see why my opinion doesn't mean much to you either. Next up today is Hidden Agenda. In this one, um, this... The ruthlessly long and dragged out opening scene uh, introduces us to yet another gang of Jokers. This one led by some guy in a straight jacket and makeup named uh, Terminal. Um, what they do, they basically just harass this poor working class stiff on a train and leave him to die until Batman intervenes. Um, and he saves the guy. And the next day at school, uh, the Gotham City version of the SAT scores are revealed and Max has gotten a perfect 2400. Uh Terry's score, it should be noted, is incomplete because he had to leave early on a Batman mission. And Max quips that she thinks Terry sets up these emergencies just to get out of uh, doing anything important in school. Um, but across the hall, the student by the name of Carter Wilson sees his score of 2391 and thinks he's a shoo-in for valedictorian until his buddy tells him that Max scored higher. Uh, he congratulates Max, but he's obviously not too happy about it. Um, Max then shows Dana and Terry a program that she's using to narrow down who Batman really is. And to this point, she has determined that it is almost certainly a student at Hill High School. Uh, that night, Carter is berated by his utter bitch of a mother for scoring so low on the, on the GAT, as it's called in this universe here. Um, she even calls him the first place loser for having the second highest score. Um, once she leaves, Carter makes a call to his gang, revealing himself to be terminal. And uh, they they go and vandalize the high school, destroying the computers with the GAT information. But unfortunately for Terminal, he's unable to destroy the computer with the uh, valedictorian's data information on it or something. Um, but the next day, Dana, Terry, and Max are walking through the school, and Terry notes that it wasn't random va- uh, vandalism. They had specific targets. And this is further shown when Max opens her locker and a pie with a brick is launched out of it. 
acid, never mind a gun, a pie with a brick. <laughs> yep. I, I know, I, I know. <laughs> <sighs> oh, shit. <laughs> she Anyway, she decides to put her search for Batman on hold and use her program to track these jokers and the students who could possibly be them, uh, be jokers. And so that night, the Jokers are again outside the school trying to finish the job that they weren't able to finish the night before. And Batman chases uh, the three uh, little hench goons under Terminal's control. Uh, he chases them down to the Batmobile all across town while Terminal slips inside the school unnoticed. Well, Batman eventually tracks down the goons, and he sees Max's student ID around the big one's neck. He uh, then has to go back to the school and save Max, who's working on her Joker's search program. Uh, to save her from Terminal. And he gets back just in time to save her from being sprayed with acid by retrofitted custodial robots. Uh, Mike, this is your cue to laugh again. <laughs> no, I'm, still, I'm, I'm seriously trying not to laugh about the brick and the pie. I'm, still, I'm, I'm not kidding. I am holding that back. <laughs> anyway, he runs off to change into his street clothes, uh, Terry, of course, and he comes back acting as if you know, he didn't know what was going on. He's like, uh, Max, are you okay? And everything. And he tells Max that he uh, that she's got to stop this Joker search program because they'll kill her if she doesn't. And uh, Max hesitantly agrees, but when she's about to delete the program, the computer finishes the data crunching and a list of six names of possible Jokers prints out. Or actually, it shouldn't be. It's not possible Jokers. It's actually just possible people with uh, double lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, Terry is on the list. Uh, so the next day, Max sends an email to Terry telling him to uh, meet her in the park or she'll blow his secret wide open. And uh, so Max goes to the park where she's met by Terminal and the gang. And she thinks Terminal is Terry, but Terminal twice refutes her theories, saying that he has a more personal vendetta against her. Well, Batman again arrives just in time to save her. And the two of them beat up the gang, and Terminal is thrown into the park fountain, washing his makeup off and revealing that he is Carter Wilson. So the next day, Max tells Terry that Carter wasn't even on her list of possible jokers, but he was. So she knows the truth, that Terry is Batman, and she says it could be for the best. You know, now he has someone to talk to and help him out uh, whenever he needs some assistance. And that's pretty much it. So, thoughts? Yeah, you know, I kind of like this episode. i got to be honest with you. Um, I have a feeling you're not going to be so keen on this one, though. (laughs) Um, I have a feeling a lot of our listeners aren't going to be keen on this one because it... This is the one that introduces Max as Terry's sort of sidekick. Mm-hmm. You know, because we've seen Max before. Wasn't she the one that got spliced? Didn't she get her eyes done? That was her, No, right? that was Chelsea. But Max was in the previous episode at the arcade that uh, Matt gets abducted from. No, I knew she was there, but I thought we saw her in the... Spl- well, she was in a previous episode, but I can't... I, I think she was in the Splicers episode, but she, I don't think she got anything done to her. Okay, I really thought she got the cat eyes. Pardon me. Um... But regardless, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, like I said, I, I know like a lot of people hate the Max character, so I know they're just going to be like, oh, this episode's shit because this is the one where she f- figures it out. But I did like watching an episode that focused a little more on uh, an ancillary character. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Terry's in there, yeah, as Batman, he's in there, sure. But this was Max's episode, really, yep. about how she's this really bright girl, about how she does have an enemy in the school that she doesn't know about. Um, 
I, I was digging that. I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble finding words for this one, though. I well, will say. Um, but and I like Terminal too. Yeah. I, well, Michael Rosenbaum is a yeah. voice acting god. He does such a great creepy voice, yes. and he can also do that douchebag voice too, which he did as a, what was his name, Carter, Carter right? Yeah. Yeah. That that he's got that smarmy thing going on he i mean he is such a good voice actor oh yes and then he, he can also do someone like the flash who's just all bouncy and happy-go-lucky <laughs> yeah. and what's going on guys you know he has a lot of range and like the second i heard him as terminal okay the first thing i thought of was the other joker he plays cool. the one who's real skinny the scarecrow looking one what's his name cool yes cool yeah that's the first thing I thought of. I was like, oh, really? They're using him for a different voice? But the more I heard him, I'm like, ooh, this is a good voice. Because it's completely different. Because Ghoul is Christopher Walken. Yep. He's clearly doing his Christopher Walken impersonation for him. And here he's just doing a very mellow, almost a Mr. Freeze voice. Very little emotion mm-hmm. in there. Um, the emotion does come through now and then. But it's, it's, it's played very flat. And it works for that character. I thought the design... For Terminal was quite good. And that's something I meant to mention when we were talking about Bloodsport. I like the design of the Stalker. Yes. I completely, sorry, I completely forgot to mention it. So I like what they're doing design-wise with a lot of these characters um, in the Batman Beyond uh, universe here. Um, well, it, it should be noted, uh, as far as Michael Rosenbaum goes, You know, we of course know that he based Ghoul's accent on Christopher Walken. Um, the Terminal voice, you know, he voices Deadshot also in Justice League. Um and oh, that's right. a, he, in an interview, he said that he based that voice on Kevin Spacey. The the Deadshot one. Deadshot, yeah. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> so yeah, he's yeah he's he really knows what he's doing. He, he yeah. really does. He is a professional. Mm-hmm. Um, but which is good for him because I fear. Okay, he's like the one good thing out of Smallville. Going back to that talk earlier, mm-hmm. you know, he's one of the really great things about that show. And I fear that after it's over, he's gonna get. typecast as the kind of smarmy douchebag villain guy, you know, or or he's just not going to be able to get roles at all, but at least he'll have a career of voice acting. Because look at Mark Hamill, you know, totally got typecast as Luke Skywalker, right? Yeah. But his career was completely revived by BTAS. Yes, it was. Um, And and I'm hoping Rosenbaum, I'd love to see Rosenbaum get film roles and other TV roles too, but if he can't, yeah, he's going to make a lot of money in just sitting in a studio in his pajamas. Yeah. <laughs> See, I don't dislike this episode either. I just think it's... Okay, I really thought you were going to kind of not like it. No, it's just... I just think it's kind of there, you know? Okay. But, um, again, this goes back to what I said at the beginning of um, Lost Soul. More time wasting. That opening scene, my God, how long was that fucking scene? It was like... It had to be at least four minutes long, and it wasn't even good. It wasn't riveting. The only thing that made it any, anywhere near passable was Michael Rosenbaum's voice acting. But as the scene itself, in and of itself, is just its boring. It's just this guy being harassed by a bunch of jokers and being left to die. And you know that Batman is going to get there eventually, and it's like, all right, Batman, where are you? All right, come on. It was. It just dragged on and on and on and on. I see where you're coming from. But I'm going to tell you why I didn't mind that scene and why I actually kind of liked the scene. Because they needed to set up Terminal. We've seen the Jokers literally since the first episode of Batman Beyond. They've been in the background mm-hmm. of of the program. And they've been played off as just kind of buffoons. Utter, you know? Utterly pathetic. 
Right, exactly. They're just a gang with a gimmick, and they suck at it. But now they have to make them look really badass. So what do they do? Not only do they introduce this new leader for them in the form of Terminal, who I really hope comes back, but I somehow doubt will. Um, they also introduce new Jokers for him to pal around with. I don't think we had seen... Maybe the big one. What was his name? Trey? Yes. Yeah, we might have seen him before, but I don't think we've seen the girl or the other guy before. No. So they had to introduce all those characters, especially Terminal, and they had to take their time doing it because they had to build them back up. I mean, to use a wrestling term, the Jokers have been jobbed out so often that they needed to be put back over. Yeah, that's and perfect I analogy. Think, I think taking the three, four, five minutes that they did, you know, yeah, it slowed down the episode, but it was so needed if we were going to buy these guys as the villains for the episode and not just some goofs that are kind of screwing up Terry's life in this episode. I mean, especially, I keep saying, especially when it comes to Terminal, because we see he really has no loyalties. Sure, he wants to be a joker and, quote-unquote, make the working-class schlub laugh. You know, again, quote-unquote. But he almost kills uh, Trey. Yep. Because he starts laughing at him, and he almost throws him off. He literally does throw him off the side of a building, but he's able to save himself. Mm-hmm. You know, and what's he say? Don't make fun out of me. And that really kind of cool Michael Rosenbaum voice. I know, he just goes, don't make fun of me. Yeah, and it's like, there we go. Now we understand this character. We understand where the Jokers are coming from here, and we see why they're following him, because they fear him. You know, know, one of them might be bigger than him, but he's not badder than him. Um, Yeah, yeah, there we go. That's me explaining why I liked it. I mean, I think I, I liken it to the opening scene of Mystery of the Batwoman. Where you know where I'm coming from here, where how mm-hmm. long that opening scene was, and and it kind of yeah it introduced us to Batwoman being somebody who uh you know was willing to kill and everything, so it put her over there I suppose, and that, yeah you're right this the opening scene definitely did put Terminal over. I just I just think it was unnecessarily long, you know. Yeah. Okay. So see what I thought was unnecessarily long, even though I didn't dislike the episode, was actually the opening to Bloodsport. I'm sorry, I forgot to mention it earlier. It took about six minutes, I counted, about five, six minutes before the plot in that episode got moving. That's true. But again, it was setting up the character, but I think this episode did a better job of setting up the main villain. So that's why I noticed it there and kind of begrudged it there, but didn't so much begrudge it here. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, that's what you're saying. And I, okay. you know, a more... Michael Rosenbaum, I swear, he has some some great lines here uh, in this episode. Where, I mean, at the fountain, and Max is just like, "Who are you?" And he goes, "Me, I'm the best." <laughs> but I think maybe my favorite line of his in this whole uh, this whole episode was in the school when he's over the loudspeaker system, and he's like, "Query: How many men does it take to keep a school clean?" It was just out of the out of nowhere, him just saying, "Query." Yeah. Like, Oh, it was just, it was cool, I thought, you know. But um, I do have, I do have one question here. At the very end of the episode, or near the very end of the episode, I should say, uh, Carter is being let off in handcuffs with his letterman's jacket and his khakis on. Did (laughs) did he wear that stuff under the terminal costume? Was he? Oh, wait, was he? He was. I'm trying to think. Oh, they showed it on TV, didn't they? Well, yeah, it's just like. I don't know. It just seemed kind of weird that he'd be well, wearing I, a Letterman's jacket under a Joker's costume. Well, where did they show him getting arrested? Was it? Did we actually? It see was on it? TV the next day it's at when, school. 
So, I mean, now, was he being arrested at the fountain? Well, that's the thing. It's it's ambiguous as to where he was being arrested, but you have to think it was in, uh, you know, in the park because I mean, why would, were they going to wait till the next day to arrest him? I mean, I figure Max would was going to call the police because Terry just leaves her there with the with the beaten up jokers. Yeah, the only I, I see what you're saying, and I do agree with it. The only way I could justify it is maybe. I don't know. He somehow got away, but then Terry alerted the police and he got arrested at home. I don't know. But even if I try to justify it, I I really shouldn't try to justify it because you're right. That is a major flub. That really is. He still should have been in his terminal straitjacket. Yeah. And it would have been a, a neater visual, don't you think? <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Um, was this the first episode of Batman Beyond to not feature Bruce Wayne? I believe it was. Because he wasn't in it at all. I mean, we didn't even get uh, McGinnis in the background type thing, right. did we? Right. Uh, I okay. believe this is the first one. It worked without him. Mm-hmm. And I have to wonder if they were testing something here. Because they're introducing Max as a sidekick, and they very clearly pushed Bruce out of the picture. I'm wondering if they were trying to see if they could get away with episodes that didn't feature Bruce Wayne but still had someone in it who could serve as the uh, a surrogate for Bruce, the tech support, the alibi support, mm-hmm. the, the the ear to talk to, just to sort of uh, kind of add a younger vibe to the show. Because otherwise, I don't see why they would introduce Max in this way. Yeah. Uh, now, this actually happens a few other times where Bruce isn't in an episode, and I okay. know of I know of one off the top of my head because I remember seeing the episode. It's the return, the episode where Curare comes back. I think it's called Final Cut. He's Bruce is not in that episode, um, and I think that's coming up pretty soon on our queue. So I'll have to look. Let me see. But and you said, but you say there might be more. There, there's at least a couple more, maybe more than that, where Bruce is not in the episode. Final Cut will not be in 43, but it will be in 44. Right. So I, I, Ooh, you know, it'll also be in 44. What's that? Zeta. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, I love torturing our listeners. Anyways. <laughs> Here's another question I have. I mean, Max is typing out this email to Terry, and she's reading a different message than what she's typing on the screen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How, what? Yeah, I noticed that, too. It's I'm like, okay, if you just told us what she typed, why are you going to show us what's on the screen? Wait, that doesn't match. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is that? And then when Terry got the email later, I expected it not to match again. Like it was going to be all, like a whole different message or the message that she said out loud. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, and, and this, this girl got 2,400, a perfect score on this GAT <laughs> test. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Um, Oh, what was I going to say? Oh, gripes, gripes, gripes. There were a couple of times where Terry and Dana in one shot in particular were a little off model. Um, There was a moment uh, maybe midway through where Dana showed up and started tugging at Terry's arm and her lips were just like huge. Her face was all, I don't know, it was just a skew. It just didn't look right. And then as we got to the end when Terry and Maxine were talking – his face didn't feel right either. Um, so though I like the design of Terminal, I think they could have paid a little more attention to what they were doing with Terry and Dana. I don't know. I don't know if you noticed that. I understand what you're saying about Dana because if this this might be the episode it ha- uh, that I'm thinking of, or the, I mean, you're thinking of here, is where um, 
I, I think Dana, her model just looked kind of squished down yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I noticed. Yeah, she looked a little thicker. Right, right. They didn't look as thin as they normally draw her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, mm-hmm. so the, yeah, this is the episode. I was thinking when I was, you know, I was printing up my notes here and every uh, earlier, and I was going through it. I was thinking, there, I know there was an episode where this this Dana looked ugh, just what? <laughs> yeah. So this must have been it. Yeah. Okay. Now, what do you think about introducing Maxine as the sidekick? I like Max. Obviously, I haven't seen all that many Batman Beyond episodes, mm-hmm. but I know that in the episode Final Cut, as far as I remember from seeing it the first time all those years ago, I, that's a great episode. She plays an integral role in that episode, and I think that was where I, I was like, wow, I love this character. So I, I, this is one of those times where I'm just going to have to go back, and as we, as we go along, maybe I won't like her as much, but mm-hmm. I, I dig the character. I'm going to have more to say about her when we get to um, Hooked Up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like the idea of what they're trying to do with her. Um, and at least in this episode, I like what they did with her. Um, introducing or reintroducing this character, really. Showing how bright she is. Showing that she figured it out. Um, though she kind of fell backwards into it. Because, of course, she thought he was a joker at first. Um, her, and her heart I, was in the right place, <laughs> right? It definitely was, and I liked, I liked the fact that she can help him deflect Dana. Yes, you know, um, which is no small feat. No, it's not because I mean Dana. You know, she's a young, attractive girl. She wants to be with her boyfriend. You know, but he's blowing her off because, well, he's Batman. And I like the fact that he has a friend, a female friend, who's also a friend of Dana's, who can say, oh, no, no, he, he, you know, he was actually doing something else, you know, though I hope that at some point they have Dana question what's going on between Max and Terry. Like maybe she starts thinking he's cheating Mm -hmm. with, with her. I doubt they'll do it, but it'd be neat if they threw that in there to give Dana a little characterization beyond tugging at Terry's arm because that seems to be her role yeah tugging at his arm and complaining when he doesn't rightfully I should say complaining when he doesn't show up for days well I mean I'm pretty sure in our next uh episode of WFP we're gonna have an episode where she is the focal point of the episode so because I've seen that episode before I think it's called rats but we'll get to that next next or two weeks from now remember me Melanie or should I say 10 If you hate me, I understand. What I did to you before, I didn't have a choice. It was between you and my family. There's always a choice, Melanie. I need a place to stay till it's dark. That's all I'm asking for. Let me guess. Cops after you? Among others, including Batman. But even he would never think of looking for me here. No, I guess he wouldn't. But there are laws against harboring criminals, and I'm... I'm not a criminal. Not anymore. Then why is everybody after you? Because I was forced to rob a big poker game by the Jokers. They're holding my family. I I think we better call the police. Don't you get it? If I do that, the Jokers will kill them. Next up is the episode entitled Once Burned. In this one, Ten from the Royal, excuse me, Royal Flush Gang (laughs) is back in town and she attempts to rob a high stakes poker game. Um, Of course, if it's a high stakes poker game um, in Gotham City, chances are that the people playing poker 
are packing heat and or have bodyguards. So uh, <laughs> she starts getting shot at, and Terry, as Batman, who just happens to be stopping some thugs on a nearby rooftop, hears the gunfire, he looks over, he sees someone being shot at, he doesn't give it a second thought, he swoops down to save whoever it is that's in trouble, and uh-oh, it's this girl he had this uh, brief fling with some months back. Um he tells her, I, you know, what's going on? I thought you stopped stealing. I thought you got arrested, whatever. And she's like, well, no, you don't understand what's going on. And he's like, I don't care what's going on. You're thieving in Gotham. And, well, that ain't going to happen. So he takes the bag of jewels and he throws them back at the thugs, thinking that will get them to stop shooting. It does not. Uh, so he throws gas pellets at them to stop all of them, except one. There's one who doesn't get uh, knocked out by the gas. She just sort of walks away. Um, and that ultimately goes nowhere. I'd like to point out that whole thing with the female ruffian. Yeah. That, that they, they set it up as if there was going to be this big reveal about her and then nothing, at least in this episode. What was it I've been saying about time wasting in these episodes? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. You're right. Um, so Terry uh, and 10. Ooh, I can't remember what happened. Did she get away from him? How did she get away from him? He didn't just let her go. She flies off and... God, what? Yeah, she just flies off on the car, doesn't she? Yeah, while while okay. Batman is taking down the uh, all the, the ah, goons, she flies that's away. That's right. Right, so he then goes home. His apartment is empty, uh, meaning his mom and his brother aren't there. And when he enters his room, Melanie, her name was Melanie, correct? Yes. Yeah, is there, and of course that is 10. And she's hanging out, and he's like, whoa, listen. Because he knows, mind you, he knows who she is, but she doesn't know that he's Batman. But he does know, like I said, that she was arrested um, for being part of the Royal Flush Gang. So he's like, look, you can't be here. I just can't harbor a criminal. I can't get in trouble like this. Please leave. So they're sitting there talking, and she's like, no, you really don't understand what's going on. Um is this the point where she tells him? I believe, yeah, I believe it is. She or tells is it him. after when they're staring out the window? Yeah, I'm, I'm skipping. Is it, it's when they're staring out the window and she tells him what's happening? Yes, right? yeah, she tells him okay, about the okay. derby and everything. Okay, so uh, before that happens, uh, they're sitting there in Terry's room, just kind of chit chatting, and Dana calls and she's like, "Hey, weren't we going to study for a history test?" And Terry's like, "Oh, you know what, hun? Something's come up." Can we do it tomorrow? And she's like, oh, yeah, that's fine. Terry then proceeds to grab Melanie, and he uh, fucks her on the bed. Yeah. Uh, um, hmm. <laughs> it, it's not, okay, yes, we don't see them fuck, but they start kissing. They're sitting on Terry's bed. We fade to black. They had sex. Terry just cheated on Dana. Last time it was okay because they had broken up, so fine. It was a rebound thing. This time he's with Dana. Whoa. Anyways, uh, when we come back, they're clothed, staring out the window, and she tells him uh, the, what she, the reason she was stealing is because uh, her family has supposedly been kidnapped by the Jokers, and she needs to pay the ransom. The only way she could pay the ransom is to rob this thing called the Derby, this high-stakes poker game. And Terry's like, look, I feel sorry that your family is is being held hostage, but really, you, you just can't steal. Um, it, it's It's... He just basically doesn't want her to get hurt because those guys are going to kill her. Mm-hmm. They're absolutely going to destroy her because, she, remember, she doesn't even want to be part of this life. She hates this lifestyle. She's no good at it, really. Um, but Terry says, okay, you know what? Um, I'll help you track down the Jokers. So uh, he joins forces with her to try to, t- to, try to uh, infiltrate the Joker compound. Uh, when they get there, it turns out that she, uh, 
the, the Royal Flush Gang is not being held hostage by the Joker. So Terry's like, what the fuck? She's been lying to me again. Jesus Christ. So she uh, hightails it out of there and because uh, she just thinks it, it's two on like a thousand. You know, she just thinks storming the compound's stupid. So when Terry wasn't looking, she ran off and she did go back to the, the, the poker game. She stole the money and uh, when she eventually went back to the compound, is that where she ended up at the end? She got back to where the Royal Flush Gang is hiding. But she thought it's where she thought it was where they were being held captive. So it had to be that compound where Terry was fighting. I assume so, yeah. Okay. So she shows up with the jewels and it turns out, uh oh, the Jokers, they never kidnapped the Royal Flush Gang. It was all a test that her family was uh making her go through to see where her loyalties lie, to see if she would steal. Um and of course she's pissed. She's like, What the fuck? So uh, she's sitting there arguing with them when Terry shows up and says, oh, yeah, okay, well, now you're all going back to jail because they're all a bunch of douchebags. So uh, they're like, oh, but it's five on one. What are you going to do? Uh, well, it turns out to be just four on one because ten runs away. She's not choosing sides. She's not fighting with Terry, and she's not fighting with her family. And Terry's like, ah, oh, it's not five on, or four on one. I brought some friends. And the members of the derby card game show up because terry told them where to go we'll get into that in a minute uh yeah. so there's this big fight between the royal flush gang uh batman and the the poker players um and of course terry also called the cops they all get arrested at the end of the day and what happens with this 10 just run away or do they have a final no they don't have a final moment do no, they she just runs off no she runs off and terry at the end is taking dana out on a date, and uh, this is where he can't pay to get them into the club, or he's having trouble paying to get them in the club, and he finds a note in his pocket uh, that uh, Ten had given to Batman. Who, uh, she said, give this to this guy named Terry McGinnis if uh, you make it out of here alive. And Terry's got it in his pocket, and he throws it away. <laughs> there we go. So, thoughts about Terry fucking around on Dana. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. Just, just whatever. Talk about this episode about that scene. Just whatever. I mean, beyond even that, I'm not. I'm going to let you get into that because I have my own big gripe with this. Besides that, Terry causes a mass shootout to occur. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, wow. What the fuck? Was there a chemical imbalance in Terry's brain this episode? <laughs> yeah. When I saw that, I was like, wait. Terry told the gangsters where to go to take out another gang. No, I don't care that Terry also called the cops and it was one big trap. Guns were still being fired and swords were still being swung. And there was a giant robot on a flying card running around. So someone was going to get killed. Like, okay, if Bruce had done it, maybe I could see it because he's the master manipulator. Well, and he did he, do it and he, almost got him, so. Right, that's true, that's true. He can control that situation. He knows what he's doing. Terry is still way too new to the game to pull off something like this. I hated that. It was a very convenient way to end both storylines in one fell swoop. That's all they were doing. They were like, oh, shit, we have to end this derby thing, and we have to end the Royal Flush Gang thing. How can we do it? Ah, let's get them together. How? Terry invites the poker players to this compound. Uh, yeah, okay, no, no. And I don't see Terry believing that the Royal Flush Gang, of all people, could be kidnapped by jokers. 
Are you fucking kidding me? God, again, Terry was just a... He's a douchebag and an idiot in this episode. Kind of like Superman was when Mala and Jack Sawyer entered the scene on the, their first time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. What was the name of that episode? Because this is Batman Beyond's that episode. Oh, Jesus. I don't know. I think I closed my spreadsheet. Let me open it back up. You, you, keep, you keep ranting, and I'll open up my spreadsheet again. Okay, here we go. More of that time-wasting stuff, people. Um, did we really... Did we really need to see every member of the Royal Flush Gang and every member of the Derby running out of that build that hole in the wall in the building two by two by two by two? <laughs> That's just I don't know what the hell is going on in these five episodes, but just the the utter time wasting techniques that they use. I'm, I hate to use the word technique because it's just it's just nothing but time wasting. But that's really all I can think of to, to describe it. It's like a they perfected it as an art in these five episodes. Yeah. Was it blast from the past? That was, was it. that the one? Yeah, that's it. Okay, because I know absolute power was, was the one where they come back. With the, uh, with the um, uh, thing in space that we will not mention. <laughs> <laughs> but I couldn't remember if the other one was Blast from the Past. But yeah, that does sound right to me. Yep, okay. yep. That's this is Blast from the Past, Batman Beyond style. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, you know, I don't think it's as bad as that one, though. To be fair, um, that's not saying this is a great episode. It's not, but I don't think I'm going to score it as low as I scored Blast from the Past. Let me just. Give that little hint. Um, and I think I gave Blast in the Past a three, and if I remember correctly, you gave it a four. Um, but we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see when we get to our scores. Um, is it time for me to talk about Terry cheating on Dana? Yeah, just go for it. Okay, just no. Just no. Okay, do you really want your lead character to come off like that? Like I said, when I was synopsizing it, it was okay the last time it happened because Dana left him. So he could go out and seek another companion. But he got off the phone with her and then started having sex with the other girl right then and there. Hey, hon, I love you. Bye. Let's, let's get it on, baby. Like, no, no. Oh, my God. It just, it just really irks me that they were doing that with the character, that they somehow think that he comes off as a good guy in this episode. And he doesn't. He never even apologizes to Dana at the end. He never has a sit-down with her and says, look, I have to tell you this thing that I did, and you're going to be mad at me. You know? Yeah. It's, it's just completely hidden from her. It's just... Okay, it's one thing if he keeps his life as Batman away from her, but to... But to do that and then still have us think he's a likable character? Nope. I'm sorry. Nope. I'm sorry. That's almost as bad. And it might even be worse, if you want the truth, than Superman stalking Lois Lane's family in Superman Returns. It's character assassination. And you're doing this to the main character of the show. Right. That, that can kill your show. Like, the little kids who are watching it, they're probably not going to care so much. You know what I mean? They just really want to see Batman. Mm -hmm. But if there's any parents... Who are watching it with their kids, the parents are going to be like, whoa, that is too mature, too messed up. And they're going to write in to the network and they're going to be like, what are you airing? Yeah, because they're not going to know they, what's going on that, that Dana and I mean, they're not going to know all the history between Dana and Terry, but they're going to know that he just got off the phone with his girlfriend and then fucked somebody else. 
Right, exactly, exactly. And if they get enough of those calls and letters, that could get your show yanked. It really could. Or at the very least, put into a very crappy time slot, which will then kill your show. I mean, I understand what they were going for. They were trying to... They were trying to show us that Terry and Melanie still cared for each other, but you didn't have to have them go that far. I mean, you could have had Melanie kiss Terry, and they're doing it for a second, and he kind of pulls back, and he's like, you know what? I just can't. Like, he wants to enjoy it, but he knows he can't because his heart's with Dana. But to have him go all the way, no. I'm sorry, no. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and really, one of the things they were going for in this episode, which I just sort of alluded to, was they were trying to get back the feeling, that emotion, that, that connection that Terry and Melanie had the last time they met. And I think they failed royally, no pun intended, really, um, this time around. I, I just did not feel... Okay, maybe the emotion was there, but I was so irked by the affair yeah, that I was like, shit, okay, well, I don't want to root for them. Because last time I sort of wanted to root for them. Now I'm like, no, no, not at all. So, yeah, just, just on every level, this episode. Now, the more I talk about it, the more this is becoming worse than uh, a blast from the past. Yeah. <laughs> Max. Kip, haven't seen your face around. It's been behind a pair of VR specs. Here? <laughs> Not likely. There's this new VR. Gives you the realest real ever. It feels like love all over you. Yeah? I could take you if you want. And I bring a friend? The more the merrier. And lastly up today is Hooked Up. In this episode, it starts off with this teenager named Donnie uh, finishing up a punk rock concert, and he's being cheered on by thousands and thousands of adoring fans. Well, he leaves to his limo with his three girlfriends waiting inside, but suddenly he is transported back to reality, because it turns out that he's in a virtual reality machine, and the proprietor, whom we don't know at the time is Spellbinder, uh, tells him that he needs to pay more to continue the fantasy. Well, at uh, high school the next day, Terry's sleeping in the hall for some reason, um, and Max says she should have someone out there helping him, uh, but Terry just refuses outright, and so uh, that night, Donnie is out in, out in the streets of Gotham panhandling, and uh, this guy makes a, like, a comment like, go get a job, drag, or whatever he says, and he, Donnie gets pissed off and then starts just mugging people for uh, to get creds, and so Batman chases him all over the place. But Donnie ends up causing a massive wreck on the highway when he dislodges the trailer from a semi. And so Batman has to stop that instead of chasing down Donnie. Well, Donnie gets back to the VR parlor, I think is his called. And this is where it's revealed that Spellbinder is uh, running this little uh, place. And he hooks Donnie back up. But later, another quote-unquote recruit, as they call him, uh, named Jesse, goes comatose. And Spellbinder just tells them to dump her somewhere. And to get some more recruits. Well, at the Batcave, Bruce notes that uh, the girl that they dumped off somewhere was one of uh, several runaways to be found comatose and is now hospitalized. And that Donnie is likely connected to them. Well, Terry reluctantly brings Max along to investigate this, uh, investigate Donnie's background. And they find that Donnie lived at a, uh, a really, really seedy apartment complex. And uh, and his father is he's an abusive asshole. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Max finds a cash card there belonging to Donnie, and she she's able to uh, track where where it was used, and 
sees that he was spending a lot of time at uh, the VR room, I think is what it's called. It's like a yeah. it's it's an arcade with virtual reality machines, I think. And Max uh, talks to a guy there at the arcade uh, who reveals that there's a new VR parlor out there that gives you like the ultimate in fantasies. It's it's so real you can feel it. You it almost feels like you're touching everything inside it. And uh, Max goes off with the guy. Uh, but another guy stops Terry from interfering, and uh, he blurts out that Spellbinder is the one that hooks them up. And then Terry, of course, is immediately alarmed, and then he just shoves them away and fights Donnie and the other guy, and he, he ends up knocking him out cold before he can get any information out of them. Well, they show Max at the VR parlor, and she's uh, exposed to this wonderful fantasy world where she has a supportive and loving family, uh, because it's reveal- she reveals later on that uh, her parents split up and her mother is on the road all the time so it's really just her and her sister at her house and uh so the next night batman sees max breaking into a car to steal from it to get more credits for the uh the vr parlor of spellbinders and he's just he's super pissed off and he he gives her a sedative and takes her home that's where she reveals all the stuff i was talking about a minute ago and um but max knocks terry out from behind uh and then she, let's see, what she does then, she goes back to the parlor, um, and when Batman wakes up, he's, he's even more pissed off. He goes, he goes out after Max, and uh, he, he sees Donnie on the street below, and he's about, he said he's about to just go beat the crap out of Donnie to, to find out where he is, but Bruce is like, or, you know, you could just uh, tail him and see where he goes. <laughs> he's like, oh. Yeah, well, that might be a good idea, too. And uh, so he gets there, and um, he he gets Max out of the machine she's in, but Spellbinder attacks him from behind and electrocutes him. And he then tries to overload his brain with just a bunch of intense images over and over and over again, just shoved right into his cerebral cortex. And uh, Max ends up saving him uh, and knocks Spellbinder into, into a computer, which electrocutes him and knocks him out. The next day, Max apologizes for almost getting them both killed, but Terry says it's okay, and they'll just have to take it slower from now on. That's about it. Yeah, I just have to recite a couple of lines of dialogue. By all means. Okay. This is when uh, Terry and Max are in Donnie's parents' apartment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Donnie was his name, right? Yes. Yep, yep. Okay. And uh, that's right, yeah, because his father's name was Don. And uh, the mother is quite concerned about where her runaway son is. And the father says, quiet, Elaine, we don't care. And she responds, Don, please. He then points and he says, get back in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <brutal>. Wow. <laughs> and I thought, um, what's his name's mom from uh, uh, the Joker's episode with Max had a bit of a uh, overbearing, cliched parent. Because you know? <laughs> that mom in there, you mentioned it, she was just nasty, but this is worse. Yeah. Get back in the kitchen, woman. Make me a chicken pot pie. You know, I seriously had visions of Bender. Or, wait, wait, Bender? Was that his name? Yeah, from uh, The Breakfast Club, when he was <laughs> giving the whole routine of what goes on in his house. There's two lines that I have to bring up here. Um mm-hmm. One is at the beginning of the episode in the in the fantasy that opens up the episode where Donnie's just walking by all his adoring fans and he runs up oh, to him. Oh, yeah. And I, it has to be said again, I don't know how they got away with this, but <laughs> she runs up to Donnie. She t- starts taking her shirt off and says, you can sign me anywhere you want. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Not that I mind, of course. I don't mind no. at all. But, 
wow, I just, I don't understand how they can get away with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the other one, uh, is towards the, towards the end half of the, or the back half of the episode, um, one of the guys, the recruits that is out trying to get more recruits for Spellbinder says, it feels like love all over you. Yes. You? <laughs> no, because then I'm getting images of these people in the VR machines and you've got these horny teenagers and they're, you know that they're in a fantasy world where they're having sex with all kinds of women and yeah, I'm sure that those machines have to be cleaned several times. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I wasn't the only one who read into that line because I didn't try to read into it. Okay, I openly admit I have a very dirty mind. Okay, Ditto. we all know that. This is, you know, we're 40, what are we, 42 episodes into the program. You all know how Mike thinks. You all know how James thinks. Okay. <laughs> but I didn't want to read into that one, but I was like, okay, thanks for the imagery. <laughs> You. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. I, just, I have the note, I have the line written down on my paper here, and then you dot dot dot. <laughs> um, I do have to get into uh, a big gripe. For By me. all means. Okay, like the previous episode with Maxine, I understand what they were doing here. They're trying to build her up to show her, to show us, I should say, that she can be uh, not only an asset to Terry but also that she may cause him some trouble by being his sidekick. Um, so, therefore, Spellbinder sort of got shortchanged in the episode. He's there, we know he's the villain, but he's sort of really just in the background. But here's a fact. This is a stone-cold fact I checked. He was taken out in 60 seconds. Yep. My note for that is, wow, Spellbinder went down quickly. Absolutely. I was... Watching the end, and I happened to look at the little counter to see how much time was left, and there was maybe two minutes left. And I'm like, are you shitting me? Because you have to figure maybe 35 to 45 seconds for the credits. Yep. And so in, in the two minutes, they have to take down Spellbinder, have a resolution with between Terry and Maxine, and then have the credits. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. 60 seconds is all he got. And Terry didn't even do it. It was Max. Yeah. It was Max. They gave him into an all-deadly no computer. Yeah, I mean, I have no problem with Max taking out a villain, but it's Spellbinder. This is someone who totally screwed with Terry the last time they fought. So, yeah, a bit of a problem there. Yeah. Um, that, that, yeah, I mean, yeah that, that irked me hardcore. Well, I know you're a Spellbinder fan, so I want to assure you that he does uh, get a very good episode coming up. Okay. I, I won't say anything more. I just know he he will be in an episode that I'm pretty sure that you're gonna like. Okay, very cool. Um, I do have a question though. Mm-hmm. There was a, a shot uh, right before Terry. Uh, I think it was right before Terry got mixed up with Spellbinder, where they did a close up of Batman's face and the squinty eyes. Was that an homage? Have we seen that in BTAS or Gotham Knights before? What? It was a very familiar shot to me. You mean, you mean just where they focus on Batman's face and just, I mean, just the eyes and he squints? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that happened it, it, in BTS. Absolutely. Okay, because I'm thinking I've seen it digital, though. Is that the shot of Batman from the opening of Justice League or Justice League Unlimited? Oh, yeah. Like, the in, in the, the first season, the first two seasons of yeah. Justice League. Yeah. 
Yeah, isn't it like that real tight look on his face? And he's and then, and then he throws the battering. Show the battering. Yeah, yeah. 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 You're. I'm, I'm, oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so it's okay. So then I have it backwards. It may not be an homage to BTAS. Maybe it was used there, and it is. But it's more like the Justice League opening <laughs> was being homage to Batman Beyond. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, in the BTAS opening, they they focus on on Batman's face before he throws oh, the battering right. at the yeah. at, or before he tackles the criminals. So. Okay, so okay, yeah, so they just kept reusing it, and they just did it here with Terry. Okay, okay, hey, cool. Why not? Yeah. Um, here's a question I have. Now, this is kind of akin, just on a, sm- a much smaller scale, to that anomaly in space that we will not talk about. But yeah. The bat suit just reached a new level of just ridiculous strength by oh, what is it? stopping those two trucks from colliding with each other. He shoots a grapple into a wall or something. He shoots the other another grapple into the semi, and he's just in between it. And as the truck is flying off in that direction, it's he stops it by like a la Spider Man and Spider Man Two. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, okay, I'm not I'm not like really counting off for it. I'm just asking if if he's that strong, how could a Joker ever 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 hurt him? So that's all I'm asking. I do not disagree. I see exactly where you're coming from. It was in the moment I didn't notice it, but in retrospect, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, because that goes back to what we used to say about Batman, about his wavering abilities. Ever, yeah, his ever-changing fighting skills. The Clock King can. Oh, I have to do it. I'm sorry. I have to do it. Clean his clock. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Uh, sorry about that. But then he can go toe-to-toe with ninjas and samurais and Rachel Ghoul in sword fights. Yeah. Just asking. <laughs> okay. Um, earlier I had said about Max that I can see what they're trying to do with her. And as of that first episode, I liked what they were doing with her. Mm-hmm. They were trying to This episode, I didn't mind her so much, but she did start to get on my nerves. And I can see why people would really not like this character. Yeah, this episode would be... I could see this being at the top of people's lists where they say, she's a shitty character. They could just point to this. Yeah, because really, at the end of this, this should have been like the end of Max's career as Batman Beyond sidekick, really. It should have been like, look, I appreciate your help, hon, but look at what just happened. You're not ready for stuff like this. So, and then they can keep her in the background. She's still a friend. She still knows the secret. He can still talk to her from time to time, but there's just no helping. You know, there's just write that aspect of it out. But I know that's not going to happen. Nope. Didn't we already have one drug addiction commentary episode? Did we really need another? <laughs> I mean, really now. Yeah. Just. Apparently there's never enough. <laughs> oh. Um, here's a question I have, and this is a, this is kind of serious. Um. Spellbinder sends these three punks to dump that girl's body somewhere. Now, yeah, yeah you know where I'm going with this. Now, mm-hmm. they show when she just falls out of the machine, she's comatose, and they just show her laying there and with the three guys yeah. standing over her. Yeah, I don't think it's too inconceivable to think that those guys raped her. Yeah, especially the one in the middle, I think I it would, was, who's the one that took Max back. To that same facility, I think he had kind of a. I think his face was kind of squarish. Um, yeah. He or Donnie too, since he, I mean, look at his fantasy. He's surrounded by women. He had three waiting for him in a limo. Him too. That that's true. I, I was more, but yeah, with the guy that that took Max, 
he seemed really skeevy. Yeah. And when I when I saw him, I was like, oh, I do not like what they're implying here. And maybe I, you know, maybe we are just reading into it. But I'm sorry, there's a comatose girl, and three guys are told to get rid of the body. Like, I don't want to think about that. I really don't. Um, but it's it's there nonetheless. Yep. It's like the whole see no evil thing. Yep. You know, it's never outright said what's going on, but it's not that hard to figure it out at the same time. I really only have just a couple of random things to note about this episode. The, I thought that uh, Bruce had a great line where he's like, you're asking me for advice on handling women. And and Terry yeah. just immediately after says, ah, I see your point. Yeah, <laughs> that was great. That was just great. Um and the only other thing I have to say is, and this is another one of those in-jokes people that you'll only get on the forums. Um, Mike, do you remember that picture um, that I posted? I've actually posted this at the Oratory, too, of uh, those kids hardcore dancing at the show where they're just, yes. like, kicking air and shit. <laughs> I would have given this episode another point, maybe two points, if the, all those kids in that mosh pit had started doing that stuff. <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry. In the feedback thread for this episode, you have to. Post I will that definitely in. do that, and and because send me a PM to remind me because I I mean I've got it yeah. on my 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 account. I can just post it there. Even people at the forums might have missed it because I think you've only posted it once or maybe twice at the Earth Two forum. So it's not inconceivable that the members ha- have missed it too. So yeah, everybody's got to see this image. It's like take that air. Yeah. I beat you up. Fuck you, air. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I gotta ask, in, in regards to the opening sequence with Donnie, was Dana one of the people in the crowd? Um, I didn't notice. I swear the first girl they show in the crowd was Dana's, uh, model. Uh, maybe it just looks similar, but I could, I, I was 99% sure it was her. It, I didn't notice, but actually that might not have been, you know, I mean, that could actually be conceivable because, because Donnie, they went to yeah, school. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, it's all his dream. It's it's not that different from what the Mad Hatter did to uh, Bruce in Perchance to Dream, mm-hmm. where I'm just hooking you up to the machine and your dream is your dream. Um, so, yeah, maybe. But you'd think if he had the hots for Dana, she'd been one of the girls in the limo. Yeah. Or the girl saying you can sign me anywhere yeah. or something. Um, so maybe I just saw something that wasn't there. I don't know. Um. I got to jump in and say I really thought they did an excellent job revealing who the villain was. Even though I didn't like what they did with Spellbinder in the last 60 fucking seconds, I really did dig. Because I'm like, who's the villain going to be? I really couldn't figure it out. And then all of a sudden, Donnie, I think, is on his knees. And he's like, I'll get more money. I'll get more money. And they cut up and then there's Spellbinder. I was like, oh, shit, I didn't see that That was a good reveal. Even though I'm not a fan of the Spellbinder character, that was a good Mm -hmm. reveal. Uh, what else do you have to say about this one? It sounded like you had a few more notes. Um, not actually, not really. I don't think I really have anything else to say. But I think this Should I we... think this episode was a little better than the uh, previous two. But yeah. Okay. Well then, should we get to our scores? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, let's see. Flip back here. Sorry. Okay, Lost Soul. I had so many gripes with this episode. I just I cannot grade this above a three. So I'm going to give it a three. I am. I, I'm gi- going to give this one a six, but I'm really thinking I, I have to rewatch this one and come back to it uh, when we do our retrospective. Mm-hmm. Um, Bloodsport. Bloodsport gets a seven. I agree wholeheartedly. 
Uh, Hidden Agenda. Solely, almost solely for Michael Rosenbaum, I'm giving this a six. Um, that one, we'll get a seven from me. Uh, Once Burned. God, I I don't even know what to give this. I'm going to give it a two, but that's, I mean, just because of how angry I am with what they did to Terry in this episode. Mm -hmm. I may come back to it, I may not. Right now, I'm just going to leave it at a two. Zero. Wow. Yeah. I, I did not see that coming, people. I did not. <laughs> yeah. I got to tell you, I initially had this one as a five. When you started talking about um, uh, your troubles with the episode in, in regards to Terry bringing in the gang to fight the other gang, mm-hmm. I marked it down to a four. And then when I started going off on my, like, what the fuck rant, I, as the second I got done with it, I was like, you know what? Fuck this episode. It gets a zero. Seriously. So, it, so are you the, saying it is as bad as the terrible trio? Well, it's... I mean, it's just it, in a, no, okay. a whole new way. <laughs> in a whole new way, right? Because the terrible trio had so many things wrong with it. Animation-wise, story-wise, you know, just logic-wise. The episode just failed. This one, it, 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 it looked good, you know. Um, I see what they were going for in this one. Uh, but when you do that to your title character, no, 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 I cannot let that pass. So I feel guilty yeah. giving this a two now, but oh well. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. That's okay. Um, and what do you want to give Hooked up? This one I'm struggling with because, on the one hand, I'm not a Spellbinder fan. I have a lot of problems with this episode. Um, and then there's the whole thing where they may have raped the girl. I'm yeah. gonna. I'm just going to go right down the middle and give it a five right now, but this is definitely one I'm going to have to go watch again. I am going to give that one a four. And before we lead out, I should say that Hooked Up had a Terry alert. The, or, you know, the whole McGinnis Terry Did it really? Thing. It did. Oh, and yeah, another... when Max knocks him out. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's another one. I want to say it might be Bloodsport, but I didn't note it. Because uh, it, it's either Lost Soul or Bloodsport, because it's before Hidden Agenda, um, where there's another Terry or just random McGinnis. No, you know what it is? Out. It was in Lost Soul. He's like McGinnis. Oh, it was just a question. It wasn't like like. Yelling. I don't remember him yelling. I de- I I distinctly remember him when Vance is just starting to take over the suit. He goes McGinnis. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because he's contemplating the kill switch. Right. Right. That counts. <laughs> 500 megs, 1,000 kilobytes, pi r squared, 2 plus 2 equals 4. Me first. I want to play. One potato, two potato. Feedback in the form of emails and MP3s can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss five more episodes from Batman Beyond. Those being rats. That's that's with an exclamation point, people. That's why I yelled it. <laughs> Mind games. Uh, is it called Revenant? Revenant, yes. Uh, Babel. I assume that's Babel and not Babel. And Terry's friend dates a robot. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. Mm-hmm.